because things change and you always have those staff members, employees that are very resistant to that, especially when you're trying to improve things. You want to relay the expectation that you should embrace that change. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David Liss, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. Calling all veterinary professionals. Are you in need of a mental health day? Pet Desk, your clinic's client engagement solution can do you one better. In honor of Mental Health Month, Pet Desk is giving away a $2,000 getaway prize and vacation home rental and airfare to three lucky veterinary winners. Whether you've been meaning to take the team off-site for some bonding or just want to relax, the choice is yours. Go to petdesk.com forward slash getaway and enter to win and read the terms and conditions. The deadline to enter is May 31st, 2023. Welcome back, Positive Leadership listeners. Today we have an amazing guest and a good friend of mine, Jeff Kacharian. He is part owner of Only Cremations and SSO Medical Waste Management. He also has a PhD. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much for stopping by the show to hang out with David and I today. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you for Thanks having for coming me. on. We're oh, super excited so to, uh, yeah, we're excited to chat with you today. I'm honored. I know you, and I know a little bit about your history, but honestly, reading your email to me and finding out a little bit more about you, I would love for you to share who you are and how you got to be where you are today and your journey. Yeah, so my past is a little varied. So I grew up in Irvine, the mean streets of Irvine, and... I, of course, my father, um, as you know, is a veterinarian. He does canine orthopedic surgeries mostly. Yes. Um, yes. Dr. K. We'll give a shout yeah. out to Dr. K. Woo-woo. Yes. So yeah, I grew up in Irvine. I went to, I went to UC Irvine and I tried very hard many times to leave Orange County, which I have. I got the travel bug at a very young age probably around 13, because I I used to be, my dad loves bringing this up, but I used to be a gymnast for about eight years when I was young. Shut the front door. Oh, wow. Interesting. (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) You know, actually in the office, there's this big poster, which is is almost comedic uh, of me. You know, they they took a, you know, professional photo of me on a pommel horse because I went to an all boys gym. And so at the time, it was a pretty intense uh, gym. So at the time I got a chance, and this kind of shows you how old I am. Right before the Iron Curtain fell, 
I got a chance to go to Russia to kind of train and compete with Russian gymnasts. And so after that, I kind of got the travel bug. I wanted to go abroad all the time. I wanted to leave Orange County all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, but I somehow ended up, you know, going back to Orange County, I, getting my degree there. Uh, I was pre-med and I did not like it. Um, but I also doubled with international studies where I got a chance to take anthropology courses and that I absolutely loved. And for some strange reason, I decided to go get my graduate degree in cultural anthropology, something my parents had no idea what cultural anthropology was. Right. Um, I could just see that. Them being like, what the (laughs) hell? Where did that come from? Yes. It's only doctor, lawyer, or veterinary. Right. (laughs) Take your pick. Right. Yes. I actually, most people don't know what cultural anthropology is, but I loved it. And it gave me the chance to live abroad on multiple occasions. But after graduating, I ended up in the, um, veterinary field, something I never, ever, ever thought I would be in. That in a nutshell. (laughs) Very cool. I can't believe that you say you'd never thought you'd end up in vet med with your dad is who he is. But hey, you know what? Good for you for not having to feel like you had to be, you know, go down that rabbit hole and stay in that, you know, pigeonhole. Yeah, stay there. Um, But here you are. And veterinary medicine is better because you're in it. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me about your favorite book, or I know you said you're a podcast junkie, CE class, something that left a lasting impression on you. So I'm still kind of a nerdy podcast when it comes to, you know, a little bit of a history buff. I love podcasts with social issues. So the latest one I love because as this little side gig, I have this nonprofit, this education nonprofit that I am. Um, we do this virtual lessons between, you know, European students and American students on like global issues. So I just finished this podcast that is a bit controversial and called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, who's the author of, of course, the um, Harry Potter books. Right. So I love this podcast because you know, her comments with regards to transgender individuals were so controversial and kind of provoked a lot of outrage with a lot of people, a lot of people trying to cancel her. So this kind of gives her a chance to kind of speak her mind and why she said what she said. Um, And it gives a lot of perspectives on both issues, you know, her perspective and transgender perspective. And I love it because regardless of whether you agree with what she says or, you know, or understand what she's saying and, or where you lie and, you know, on this topic, it's just a good reminder that you should be open to what others have to say. You should be open to other people's perspectives, even if you truly disagree with them. And so I kind of take that with me, um, or try to at least in my everyday life, especially at work. So that's just one of them. Interesting. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Yeah. I like that. So I'm like, just dying to know, I mean, you have a PhD in anthropology, which is, I mean, a PhD itself is, is no small feat. So you're an academic. And yet you, I mean, it sounds like you dabble in a lot of things, but you remained in the veterinary industry through both kind of a support 
role like like taking care of our waste issues and and you know needles and sharps and all that but also own an outright business that provides you know a really essential service to pet owners in cremation so what made you kind of come from a phd in academic background and as you mentioned earlier kind of wanting to a little bit of maybe travel bug slash run away slash not be in vet med to come back and, and be in veterinary medicine in kind of the ancillary capacity yeah that's a really good question <laughs> so i asked myself that kind of every day. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> Sometimes partially because I never thought I would end up either in veterinary medicine, or especially not working with my father. So yeah, like I said before, I had no intention going into it. I almost went into it by accident. When I graduated, when I got my doctorate in anthropology, I actually wanted to return to Brussels in Belgium where I did my research. I wanted to go back and live there, and I was going to find a job there. But in the meantime, I was back. I graduated. My father had actually asked me, he wanted to start the uh, SSO Medical Waste Management, where we, you know, we pick up and treat you know, medical waste. But that involved a lot of permitting, a lot of regulations. I was the only one you know, at the time that could actually do that and kind of implement that and start it. So I did, and it, it was a little difficult, but I actually loved it. You know, as difficult as it is dealing with the state, local and regional, you know, regulations, <laughs> it was kind of rewarding because we did end up starting it. But through that, I started helping out at Back Bay Veterinary Hospital, um, little by little. From there, I kind of got more responsibilities. After a while, I realized that I like, because all of a sudden I was tasked with managing these people. I didn't know, I never managed anyone before. I was in the um, sweet little world of academia where, you know, everyone is so, is relatively kind with each other. And we take the time to discuss things and think about things, etc. So I never really had to deal with people in a way that like, I had to at the veterinary hospital with um, actually creating schedules and telling people what to do or, you know, et cetera. So as frustrating as it was, I actually realized I, I like doing it. I love the challenges that I had to face. Every single day was a challenge for me. I mean, until now, um, every single thing, every time I think I have encountered something and I know how to handle a particular situation, a particular conflict. There's always something coming out <laughs> that I've never dealt with before. Right. I and I was telling solution. you, like, exactly. Like <laughs> once we think we've seen it all, once we think, yeah, I've got this, I know how I've, you know, nothing, nothing's new for me. I've seen it all. Like I have this coffee mug that says nothing surprises me. I'm in HR. <laughs> like once we think we've handled it all and seen it all, then all of a sudden we're like, what the hell? What's this? What now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, yeah, and nothing keeps us on our toes. I guess yes, it does keep us on our toes. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, like it does get very frustrating. You're like, you can't believe some people. <laughs> you really can't <laughs> believe the truth. Right? <laughs> like, it's unbelievable. But it's it, it's nice to work around it. Try to figure out how to uh, how to handle. Yeah, challenge accepted. Right. Yeah. Plus, I got married, so oh, I that's had right. To Not spend. too long ago. Yeah, I, I mean, I had to stay really, so I was, so I couldn't leave anymore. So. But Ball I did. Ball and chain, you're me. tied down now. Yes, I'm tied down now. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> a good segment into um, my next question, which is about diversity. And you made a comment to me about diversity yeah. once upon a time. And you said that you had encountered more diversity in vet med. And I found that strangely odd comment because your education and training in anthropology took you to Europe. And not only just to be in work in Europe, but to be in a intercultural dialogue, talking with people from all over the world and engaging in such a diverse setting where like you did a lot of intercultural stuff. Right. And, and so it just, when you said like that vet med is really where you encountered diversity kind of blew me away. It kind of shocked me. So you come <laughs> back to the States and you work in the veterinary profession and here is true diversity. So I want you to share where and how you came up with, even though you had the history and the training and the education there, how you encounter and how you see it through your lens being here in, in veterinary medicine. Right. Yeah. My research was in Brussels and I kind of, you know, in Europe, they're trying to kind of unite everyone, all the diverse peoples of Europe, and it gets pretty difficult. So, you know, I was surrounded by a lot of governmental officials and civil society members, and they came from all over Europe and they spoke many different languages. And, you know, just being in academia, it, you know, there's a lot of diversity within academia. And I realized, especially when you have to, when dealing with managing people, with leading people, with guiding people, I was surrounded by different nationalities, of course, and uh, different languages and different races and different genders. But managing at a veterinary hospital, you realize that it kind of expands the scope of what diversity is. Of course, you're dealing with different races and genders and ethnicities. And, but I think in academia, I was always surrounded by those who spoke similarly than I did, who had similar communication styles than I did, who had similar education backgrounds than I did, or socioeconomic backgrounds than I did. In veterinary medicine or and managing and you know mostly any business, you're confronted with a lot more different ways of communication styles, a lot more different you know different tempos, different ways of understanding the world, and so that kind of presented a true diversity challenge for me, especially in in a business where you're trying to use that diversity, all these different peoples, all these different ways of communicating and understanding and learning, etc., and trying to create some sort of cohesion. In academia, you're not, so, you're not really trying to create cohesion. You're trying to always expand the question and, you know... Yeah, answer the why, right? Yeah, answer the why. But when you're managing, you know, there has to be some sort of cohesion. And that's the biggest challenge, especially since there's so many different ways of learning and so many different backgrounds and so many different desires and wants and needs, etc. So that that's the diversity I'm kind of, you know, talking about. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. interesting, right? It makes me think of we always have to think about how the podcast can help our listeners. So based on that really unique insight, and also really, frankly, your training in the study of human beings, 
What do you think that we as leaders, as managers, as owners of practices can can do better? Obviously, there's kind of a huge, I don't want to say DEI to minimize it, but there's this huge right. movement to recognize, essentially, I think, the presence of those folks at the table, right? The ratios, how many folks of color or whatnot do you have at your practice? How many of them sit on corporate boards? I mean, there's a lot of push to say we need to to understand this and, and, and push more. So what can we do better in veterinary medicine as as veterinary managers and owners to embrace diversity, to promote diversity, to honestly just be better at, at diversity? Right. That's a really good question. I think, you know, on the one hand, and you mentioned this, you know, it's really important to consider diversity when you're hiring, for sure. And consider diversity with regards to, you know, various positions within the veterinary hospital. I think first and foremost, in order to do that, you have to, as a company and as a leader, you have to kind of acknowledge that we do live in a diverse society, that our clientele is extremely diverse. Once you acknowledge that, then I think then you're able to represent your actual communities or community that you serve. I think that's one way. I kind of take my anthropology background. I mean, one of the first lessons you learn about culture and diversity is that, you know, culture changes. Everything changes. So you should be, first of all, open to change. Remain constantly curious. So I have one example of this curiosity that not only leaders should be open, not only leaders should be curious, but they should really encourage that with your staff members and even those who are your bosses. And I think I sometimes achieve that. And there was one instance where I was having a meeting with staff meeting with everyone. And one staff member, someone who I never thought would ever ask a question like this. I mean, he's this big burly man. And he asked, like, how do we address if we encounter someone who is transgendered, they have a particular pronouns. What if you get those pronouns? You know, what if you're incorrect? What if you get those wrong? I was so impressed and I was so happy that he had asked that because you don't have to have all the answers. We, no one does, <laughs> especially at this time, you know, when we're trying to kind of promote, you know, a, very, a more diverse workforce. But I think it's really, really important to remain curious and to encourage questions amongst your staff, basically. I love the, you know, remain curious. I think that's one thing, at least, I I don't know about David, but definitely for me, through this podcast and hearing a lot of our guests that have come on, there's so many that have said that or led to that, right? Ask why, be curious, dig a little deeper, have a conversation. And I love that be curious, right? Because we may not get it right, but if we're constantly asking the question, constantly trying to you know answer the why or ask the why or have a conversation uh, and be open to hearing it through another lens than our own right that we tend to be surprised like you said right. an answer or encourage those types of conversations among our team and give our team safe places to ask those questions among themselves and be like hey you know I'm trying to understand why or I'm trying to do better can you tell me, share with me, whatever the case may be. So I appreciate that, you know, be, be curious. Right. Yeah. yeah and I, I even once, it reminds me, I mean, it's a little ridiculous. I, I, in my meetings, sometimes I try to create 
to have little lessons. And so I tried to create acronyms <laughs> so people could remember. That's Some what we're the, good at in vet med, uh, right? Okay, is yeah. acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I fail, of course. <laughs> but one which people laughed at, but uh, you know what, they laughed, but they still remember it. The acronym was CHOP because that was the best acronym I could come up with, with the words that I wanted to kind of promote. And CHOP stands for change, you know, embracing change constantly, because things change. And you always have those staff members, employees that are very resistant to that, especially when you're trying to improve things. So you want to relay the expectation that you should embrace that change. And then there's H for happiness. That's a little more controversial because, I mean, it's hard, you know, you can't make everyone happy. But at the same time, you don't want everyone coming into work absolutely miserable. You know, sometimes you get some people and then you're just so depressed just even looking at them. Just like, being in the are, same room. Yeah, right? being in the yes. same room. Like, why are you here? O is for openness. And openness because if anything, managing people, leading people, even with clients, you're, you're confronted constantly with different ways of communicating or people who simply don't communicate at all. So you're constantly trying to interpret what they're saying. Even working with my father, I have to interpret what the heck are you talking about? It's like, what do you want? <laughs> what do you need from me? <laughs> and then P is for patience because things take time sometimes. Nice. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Chop. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Chop. that's great. <laughs> really great. Yeah. So let's talk about your dad. You know, you brought him up. We've said it a few times. So yes. even though your dad's a veterinarian and, and he owns Back Bay uh, Veterinary Hospital in Newport Beach, mm-hmm. you did not grow up working in a practice, which I'm surprised you weren't one of those kids that was, you know, forced to be in the in, in the back slave labor schlepping kennels, right? Right. Yet here you are, find yourself owning not one, but two businesses, only cremations and SSO, medical waste. And they are an in- integrated part of our profession, especially here in Southern California, where everybody um, either knows and or uses only cremation and SSO. So tell us about how your training outside of vet med has made you a better leader inside vet med. Yeah. So as, I mean, as an anthropologist, I really feel that like, even though, you know, I had to learn a lot and I had to learn a lot quickly, I didn't want to want, I mean, I was tasked to manage people immediately. And I didn't want to be one of those people that like, okay, I'm the boss now and I'm going to command you and <laughs> you will do as I say. I never wanted to be that um, sort of boss. So, so that didn't work for you? <laughs> that, <laughs> that did not work for me. I, I, even if I tried, I don't think I would get away with that. <laughs> so no, it did not work for me. So I had to use my own experience as an anthropologist. Like I, I really have learned a lot from learning about other cultures. So when I delved into veterinary medicine and veterinary management, I had to go to the field, so to speak. I had to talk to those I will be, I I was going to manage. I had to learn from them. I had to understand like, you know, processes. I had to understand how things flowed or did not flow. I had to learn uh, like practical knowledge about veterinary medicine. I just did not know about anything apart from me in the past. I would scrub in with my father sometimes in surgery and I would just like observe what he was doing or hold something, a tool or something like that. 
But other than that, I didn't know anything. So I really had to learn. You know, honestly, I learned a lot from you <laughs> as well, Andrea. And, well, thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. I, I've learned, I mean, a tremendous amount from you and this Orange County Managers Group. And also my friend Alex, who runs a, um, an emergency clinic. So I had to, again, like go to the field, <laughs> go, out, go out in the field, talk to people, listen to them, learn from them. Um, I mean, as an anthropologist, we love doing that stuff. We love delving into different worlds that we don't know anything about and seeing how it works, how that particular culture in that world. Every hospital, as you know, has a different culture. There might be protocols, there might be particular processes, but every hospital has a different way of working and being and like forming their own type of community. So I needed to learn that and I needed to also learn how to make it my own, basically. Like I had to figure out what kind of culture that I want this hospital to be in. That's a really interesting way to think about it. You know, we do talk about culture inside of a practice, but I mean, you really study cultures, I mean, like academically. So thinking about it with that lens is, I mean, I never, I never thought about a veterinary practices or, or any business's culture as like culture, like anthropology, but it's it kind of is, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think different depending on the who's there and what your vision is, the hospital. Uh, before, I kind of, I, I always thought like, oh, you know, you, every, you know, I heard every hospital has to have a vision and a way of, you know, a mission statement. And I thought at the beginning, I was like, oh, this is bullshit. I'm like, sure. I wanted just people, like when I got there, I was like, just do your job. You know, you know how to do it, just do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. know, I don't want to like deal with mission. But I realized, you know, like a, that's really important because that mission sets all the expectations that you want out of your staff um, and your doctors. Yeah. yeah. So going back to something you said earlier, where you said, you know, essentially that like command and control leadership wouldn't work for you. So coming in and saying, I'm the boss, you do everything that I say, you know, that's it. <laughs> that, that wasn't something that you were going to embrace. And I think, you know, it's funny because I now really kind of refer to myself as a leader you know, Andrea, you might like kind of cling, or not in a bad way, but just cling to that title of manager. And I really, I like to flip it upside down and, you know, not call myself a manager or an operations director, but more of a people leader. And so, yeah, right. right. you know, what do you think, Jeff, about why veterinary medicine would, would thrive or could use more leaders than quote unquote managers? Oh, yeah, that's another really good question. Um yeah, and I think reframing it as like, you know, a people leader, because I think that's a really good term instead of like a, a manager, because I feel like the more you learn about like good leadership and the more you practice it, the more you realize that, you know, it's not so much top down that you really do have to constantly be in conversation with your staff, with the doctors, with the kennel staff, with, you know, in my case, the drivers, the technicians. So in order to kind of create not only a safe space, but a space where people feel comfortable, you know, learning and growing with you. So there's not so much this high turnover. You know, it's really hard. It is a very difficult, difficult task, you know, to keep people, you know, working with you. And you really have to use a lot of energy 
to make fe- people feel that you know they they want to work at your veterinary hospital because there's so many out there especially <laughs> they have so many options but i feel like i've kind of created an environment where people want to like stay and like thrive by kind of keeping those lines of communication open understanding how people tick you know what makes people tick what motivates them and being you know not to sound cheesy or anything but being honest <laughs> you know yeah. you can't give your staff everything yeah <laughs> you, right. you know yeah you know there's one thing to listen to them and accommodate them but you're not i mean at the end of the day you're running a business <laughs> and things need to flow and i think at the end of the day people and i think i've said this before to you you know i think people want to be ultimately want to be led. I don't want to sound authoritarian in what I say. No, 100%. Right. No, I know exactly what you mean. They need to have that structure. They do better with that structure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that goes back to, what is it? Lord of the Flies or what was that show, right? With with all the kids on the islands. Uh, I know it was a book too, right? Yes. But like they need to have that structure where you know, this is your SOP or this is how we're doing it, or this is our culture, or we know this is acceptable or this isn't. And when there aren't those types of things in place, then right, there's just chaos. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You really realize I've realized that and I've I mean I made a lot of mistakes. Well, haven't <laughs> I, we all? Right. Yeah, I right. assume they know it, they should know it. Just do your job and go. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Not so much. No. Doesn't work that way. So if you could come up with one or two things that you think like, absolutely, we should stop doing this tomorrow when we get back into practice, what are a couple of things that you say, these are not good leadership qualities? These are more of that authoritative management with rule with an iron fist. Like what are some of those qualities that you think just blow up in our face? Share some of those like where we, you know, fell down and yeah. Not just skinned our knees, but like epic failure down a hundred <laughs> foot well, right? <laughs> no way out. Like, do you have any of those things that you just really would say, don't do this, stare clear? Yes, <laughs> I have so many. I mean, I can only really speak for myself, but I'm, a, sure, I'm hoping of course, that right? yeah. I'm hoping that everyone else could relate or at least some of it. So there's a few things that I've, you know, I've failed at and I've learned from and I continue to learn from. One do not ignore issues. <laughs> you know, before when I was first starting, I would like to, I thought I was hoping at least that certain issues would work themselves out and they just don't. So one, I, from the very get-go, encourage open and communication because people will not talk to you. Of course, you don't want to micromanage, but at the same time, you need to know what's going on. So you, if there are any problems that you need to address them immediately. Even if you think it's, it's a small issue, kind of uh, always, always address it. Another problem, uh, another issue, I mean, at least for me, I think I'm a good listener. And a lot of people are not <laughs> or struggle. I still, you know, struggle, but it's really important to listen to your, to listen to your staff. However, I do believe and maybe people might disagree with me, there is such a thing as listening too much. <laughs> and I guess this is the, you know, my point with the difference between like what I was doing in academia and like actually leading people is that like, at the end of the day, you have to make 50 million decisions. 
And you're not going to please everyone. It's very good. Everyone should be heard. Everyone should know that they can be heard, but they should also know that, you know, not everything is going to go their way because you know what? Not everything's going to go my way either. So yes, I think, I, I mean, there's listen, but also, you know, have a clear point of view and direction. Two more things that I really, really, I say this because I appreciate this in my employees, always be flexible because there's so much going on. There's so much change there, particularly now it's very difficult and not to sound so serious now, but it's really difficult to live now. Things are very expensive. People have families, people get sick, people want vacation. So I think it's really, really important that I've learned throughout, you know, the years to kind of be more flexible. You know, California law especially doesn't allow for that sometimes. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yes. Seriously. It's very difficult to navigate that. <laughs> but I think I would encourage, you know, leaders to be more flexible with their staff and their needs. Not so much to a point where they take advantage or where you're being taken advantage of or the work suffers, but, you know, in order to create a space that, you know, people feel like they're, they're happy to work in. And one last thing, I apologize, I have many. And again, this is what I've learned before, cut out the bad seeds immediately. There are many times where there's one individual and they have, you know, such great qualities. However, there's, you know, a few things they do or the way they act that kind of create a bad environment for everyone. And you hesitate to let them go. The more you hesitate, the worse it gets for everyone. So don't be afraid to let go of certain bad seeds, <laughs> if that makes sense. That's a good point. Yeah. To kind of turn it around a little bit as we round out this section, what are some things that under your leadership at Only Cremations and SSO, we should do? And I guess, you know, I mean, I think you listed some, but said a different way. How do you lead right. your teams at Only Cremations and SSO? And how could we be model that better? I would probably say, again, judging from looking back at what my mistakes were, maintain flexibility with your staff, you know, while still promoting or while still maintaining a structure reiterating that structure to everyone, it's really important to be as flexible as you can with your staff. But I would also say that particularly in veterinary medicine, to really encourage and to really promote the fact that in veterinary medicine and in the veterinary field, while we do, our purpose is to serve the pets, our purpose is to maintain the health of the pet. It is a people business. And if you're going to work in the, in the veterinary field, you have to, it's not enough to love pets. Unfortunately, that's, uh, people sometimes sigh when I say that. <laughs> so, but you really have to, as challenging as people can be, as frustrating as people can be, um, you really have to ultimately love dealing with people and communicating with people and helping people making people ultimately happy. That's probably my main advice when it comes to leadership, along with learning and development. Training, 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 training. 
Right. That is that's essential. the one thing that we miss the most, right? I feel yes. like that's it right there is training. Yeah. Yeah. Say it and again I'm, for the people in the back. Always training, training. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm still learning this. You, you want so badly to people just to know <laughs> and to understand quickly. But I constantly realize that, you know, not people don't only need initial training, but they constantly need learning opportunities constantly. It never, ever, ever stops. No matter, how, even yeah. if you've been there for 10 or 15 years. Yeah, learning is a forever thing. Right. I mean, even our veterinarians, our most senior veterinarians are still right. even learning. Yeah, I think they set that tone for that, right? They're still still learning. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, if you could give our listeners one piece of advice, what would it be? I would say be comfortable with conflict. And I'm sure people have said this many times before, but don't be afraid of tough conversations. Lean in, lean in. Lean in, yeah. Conflict is okay. <laughs> it is okay if you know how to do it correctly. Yeah. And, and when I talk about uh, tough conversations, I don't necessarily mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, you know, I'm coming out of the closet kind of <laughs> sort of conversation. Yeah, right, right. It doesn't have to be. But it's also, you know, especially for someone like me, I don't like conflict. I mean, no one does, but some people know how to deal with conflict better or approach conflict better than, you know, others. But even, you know, trying to correct someone, trying to guide someone when they made a mistake multiple times, you know, having those type of conversations constantly, you know, you don't want to, you're tired sometimes (laughs) of doing that, or you're fearful of doing that because you don't want any adverse reactions. Sure. Right. It's uncomfortable and nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about at the beginning, like some of the crazy bullshit things that happen in veterinary medicine and how sometimes (laughs) we're just like no freaking way. So I cannot wait to hear your story, but tell me about a time when, right? Like literally when you had your palm hit your forehead, your chin hit the ground and you could not believe this happened. (laughs) <laughs> so tell us about your you can't make this shit up story. And I assume you probably have to change the names to protect the innocent. But let's hear your story, Jeff. Well, oh, this is um, this is such a great question. And but I could tell you a few stories, but I can't really say them right now. <laughs> um, however, I can just I imagine do, dead bodies. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do have a few I could say. And they're short. Um for some reason, I'm blanking on veterinary hospital, my veterinary hospital stories. And I'm only thinking of stories at, at only cremations, such as, you know, particular requests, you know, one person called and there's a lot of people who a- ask us for taxidermy, they want their pets to be stuffed, which we do not do. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but one in particular, actually, a couple have asked us, if we do that, and once you do do that, if you could cremate them. And we, of course, we had to politely say that we don't do that. And even if we did, to cremate them after, you know, being stuffed, would they it would leave nothing <laughs> after that. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. I'm not sure how that goes together. But... Right. Um, I, or someone asking if they could cremate a praying mantis, which, of course, wow. there would be nothing okay. left. Okay. Or one in particular, this happened uh, relatively recently. A man, we had a pet on hold. This individual had, a, had us put their pet on hold before uh, cremating. And he wanted to put the pet on hold 
because he claimed he could bring the pet back to life. And oh. so he Oh my. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. So it turned out actually we learned that it's actually not his pet, it's a friend's pet and he came uh he attempted three different times on three different days to come over, try to bring the pet back to life as a favor for his friend. And then when he kind of gave up, he said he wasn't able to bring this one back. Imagine um, that. Yes. <laughs> so we felt sorry. <laughs> for his inability to do that. So um, there are other stories, but yes, maybe a client, a, a client in the veterinary industry flicked a credit card in one of the receptionist's forehead because she was pissed she Ooh. had to make a payment. Whoa. But um, yes, nice. <laughs> those are just a few. All the things, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. Not giving people praise enough. Tell me about your proudest moment. Watching the companies grow and being part of that growth. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? Everyone's compassion. Self-care. How do you practice it? How do you decompress? Doing nothing. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I do experience work guilt, but I get over it quickly, especially because I travel. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or cause you anxiety in your business? If there's a particular conflict with someone and I cannot get through to them. What gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? I think work itself um, and working with family. What color best describes you and why? Blue. I, because I love wearing blue. It looks great on me. And if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? I would be a bear. Partially because they're really cute and partially because they're very strong. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, Jeff, this has been fantastic. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Jeff. This was great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, those of you. Those were great questions. Where can we learn more about Only Cremations, SSO, and or follow you on social media if you have any? You can always go to our website at onlycremations.com or ssodisposal.com if you're interested in medical waste disposal. Other than that, we don't have much uh, social media, but uh, you can find us on our website. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thank have you. A good one. You too. Take care. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. 
Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed. 